Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we have part two of our conversation with Dr. Will Shaw. It's more awesome stuff on how to practice, how to plan your time at the golf course, how to get the most out of your time, even if you don't have much time. If you're like me, your time has dwindled over the years, so you have to maximize your time uh, with what you have now, what to leave in with your practice, what to get rid of, what to aim at on the range, details like that. So this conversation is more awesome stuff like that. But before we get into this episode, if you feel like you need one-on-one work on your mental game, that's what I do. Yes, I host this podcast and I love it and I want to do it forever, but my actual occupation right now is working with players all over the world on their golf psychology. If you'd like to take the next step to improve your mental game, send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. All right, let's get into this conversation, this part two with Dr. Will Shaw. I, I hope everyone's taking away from this is I'm not just going to show up, grab it a bucket of balls and just start whacking golf balls. That That is a surefire way to just use a ton of energy and not get a ton out of it. So let me ask you, why is that? Uh, why does that tend to be not valuable yet? So many people do it just whacking golf balls. Yes. I think it comes down to feedback and what we know is feedback is a critical aspect in learning. So if you're in school and a teacher said, what's two plus two and you said four, but you didn't get any reply ever. Is it four? Is it five? Did I get it wrong? Now, when you translate that to a, a golf environment, when you first start, it's, well, did I make contact and did the ball go up in the air or, or not? So your feedback's very clear. And so I think whacking golf balls for a beginner is fine because they've got their feedback. As soon as you get to, say, 15 handicap down to plus seven, well, did did the ball land four foot short and, and 12 feet right for that pitch shot? Or was it nine feet short and six foot right? And those... The, that feedback becomes very blurred of was that repetition better than the last one? So as you get better and better, you need more, clearer and clearer feedback on, on your practice. So I, I'm kind of feeling that what is maybe missing as people get better is is actually making those boundaries of feedback clear. Now, again, we've got sort of uh, shot tracer, we've got track man rangers, we've got all sorts. They make practice so much more fun. Um, if you haven't got that and you're at a range, an old school range, just pick like trees or pylons or whatever you have in the distance and make something up uh, and, and just try trying and get that feedback. And I, I think that's that's a critical aspect in learning. I could be wrong because it's it's such a tricky thing to take from the, the journal studies, which is always putting with beginners in a lab and extrapolate that to uh, looking at what golfers do on a range across the world. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I I can see the the difficulty there too, um, it, because golf is so is so unique in that we practice in such a different environment than we do when we actually perform the the act of playing golf. Right? It's so it's so different. So should we be trying to make practice as much like the golf course as possible, or I, if if you could only choose one to 
okay, I've got a tournament in two weeks. Should I only play or only be around the practice area? You get to choose one. What what would you say? <laughs> oh, can I answer that in two ways? Okay, I will answer as many as you first. need. And then, okay, so the first one, if you're going to go play a tournament and you are mid-season, so I think if you're mid-season, you're playing lots of events, you, you get all your, your variability, all of your challenge, all, all, all of that from playing events. So what you need to supplement that is just go beat balls, go get comfortable, get those reps, get that stability. And that's something I, I years ago when I was writing practice plans for pros, you look at the the motor learning and you go, oh, you need to start book practice and go more varied. Right. I completely got it wrong. We, we, I was trying it with pros and realizing there was a lot mm. of pushback. And then I was like, ah, oh, I've been stupid. Yeah, obviously they're getting that from playing competitions, but we don't sure. view that as practice. But yeah. that's where you're spending six hours. Mm. So yeah, during competition season, I think it's really important that you just get on a club and just get everything in, in place and, and your, or everything else comes from playing. That's the first thing. The second thing, and we can put a link on this if you want. I wrote an article years ago on the golf course versus the range or something mm. like that and explaining these differences. So as we alluded to earlier, the practice range has high volume but isn't sure. representative. The golf course is very representative, but you're only going to hit 14 mm. drives in four hours. But what you can think is how can you get two in between stages? So how can you make the practice more like a golf course and the golf course have more volume? So we've mm. talked about one way. I think skills games and these constraints actually then make the golf course, uh, sorry, make the practice round more like the golf course. Um, and then the other way you can do if you're allowed is if you're at a golf course where you can go and hit multi shots on the golf course. That for me is unreal. So uh, mm. one of my favorite games is wedge challenge. Uh, and you go and play when it's nice and quiet, nine holes. You drop a ball at 125 yards, 100 yards, and 75 yards and can you make a birdie if you don't make birdie pick up and move on but for more advanced players all of a sudden i've got a shot which is yeah balls below my feet and i'm hitting over water or pins tucked here and you can go around and depending how many par threes you've got maybe you hit 24 wedge shots in an hour and a half all on the golf course and you go great my score is four birdies five birdies uh, i know pros that have got up to eight or nine birdies uh, in that game and my god they're good uh, mm -hmm. when they can get to that level mm. so there'd be the other the other way to look at it is how can you make the range or have more representation or make the golf course have more more volume i see and would in your in your experience does that does that have a mental component to it where when i when i finally get to that tournament what what mentally or psychologically um how has that, how will that help you show up and have more confidence and say, okay, now I, I have put in proper preparation. What, where is that link to say, okay, that preparation I know was good so I can have confidence now. What would you say? So, so if you, again, it comes back to, uh, I don't know where your, your side lies, but if we come back to self-efficacy and we look at, say the four sources of self-efficacy and the strongest being performance accomplishments, if you could look back at track record and you could say, okay, I started this wedge challenge in January and now it's April. Um, when I look back at January, I was averaging two birdies out of out of my 24 wedge shots. Um, and you can look at your data over time and you can see just before the event, you've gone seven birdies, seven birdies, nine birdies, seven birdies. You're going to go, wow, I'm such a better wedge player than I was four months ago. And that for me is where it is. 
Now mm-hmm. it's up to the player and, and how they interact with these practices, whether they are efficient. But I think having that data is a lot better than going, yeah, I feel my wedge plays on point. Right. You've got real evidence to go back to. There's a real file in your filing cabinet to say, oh, I'm a good wedge player. It's not vague. Yeah. It's it's real direct data that says that's true. Yeah, it's it's if you like, it's still a model of playing golf. The best representation you can have is well, I played in this event last year and I won it by seven. Right. You know, that's really strong evidence that you're ready right. to play. But I think we can't always do that. So how do you kind of have these mini wins mm. out of practice? Yeah. Okay. I I like that as a um we're we're trying to get as close as we can to you know course is more like practice practice is more like course and that is our way of saying of building up our our evidence in our mind that says okay I have prepared as as much like tournament or course conditions as I could and I've given myself evidence I've I've given myself enough success but I've also Learn from my failures. So something that came to mind while you were um, uh, in one of the past things that you were saying was kind of a, a failure rate. And something I've heard is you've got to fail enough to learn, but you can't only fail and you can't only succeed. You won't learn in those. Do you have thoughts around that kind of concept of you need to fail, but you also need to succeed and there's a there's a proper rate to all of that. It's such a good question. Uh, yeah, a couple of thoughts on it. Again, it so it really depends on the player. And I think the chat we're having today, I love talking about this stuff. This is great. Uh, if the player understands why failure is important, their perception of practice then slowly changes. Now, I won't name the person. I work with a couple of England players who turn. And pro and one of them as soon as he found this out he was like great i'm gonna beat myself up every day right, <laughs> like, yeah. no, 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 no. right. and he just wants to make everything impossible and you know that because i'm practicing harder than everyone else so you're right it's failing 100 percent times dreadful um but but at the same time yeah everything being easy and not getting that feedback is is not ideal so the perfect practice you can have two equal players of equal ability and you can give them the same practice structure one of them will hate it one of them will really enjoy the challenge. So there's definitely that um, perception of the challenge and uh, whether they're up for it hmm. is one thing. Uh, that'll be that'll be that. The other thing which I the reason I started is trying to remember the pro. Um, hmm. He's an amazing guy. Um, we're gonna have to look him up afterwards and credit him. He was voted. I don't know if it's American uh, PJ Coach of the Year. Kevin used to be Patrick Weasel coach, um, okay. and and he said. I like to make challenges 10% harder than their aim on the golf course. And so if, um, if they're, if they're trying to hit to a certain size green, let's make it 10% smaller. Mm. Um, if in practice they are aiming to hit 7%, sorry, 70% of fairways, let's try and hit eight out of 10 fairways. Mm. So it was always adding the challenge just a little bit above what they're trying to achieve on the golf course. And I was like, oh, that's genius. I'll steal that. Yeah. And cause that, that gets into, the research done on deliberate practice where it needs to be, it needs to push you. It needs to be based on real data and all of that. It needs to be difficult, right? Yeah. 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 Do you want a quick bit on, on, on deliberate practice? Bring as it. Well? 
So I think when you look at the study, so it was, it was people kind of gloss over that it was originally done on musicians and looking at violinists uh, and what separated the you know the world class from the good to the, the amateur. And it, it was found that it was highly challenging practice. The amount of hours in highly challenging practice uh, was the only only differentiator between those. And a lot of the time it was unenjoyable, which has been pushed through in sport as well. But there's two ways of looking at that. What people kind of pick out is, oh, I need to do 10,000 hours of practice. You're like, no, 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 no. The differentiator was that the, the volume of highly challenging, effortful practice was there. So that's sort of the first thing. But the second thing, which is really interesting, is that means all the other activities were pointless. So you can but kind of say... ones, right? Yeah. Now, that isn't the case. You know, it's a broad sweeping statement. But I think another thing that golfers can do Look at all the activities you can do and what ones can you get rid of because they're not useful. Mm. And I think that's the, the best place to start. And there, there will be these generic, oh, I just go and I hit balls. I go and play nine holes and I haven't really got much intensity. Well, if that's four hours every week, that's, you know, that's a huge amount of work over a year. So look at what isn't maybe effortful, isn't moving you forward. And can you strip that out first? Mm. I think that's something that people miss from deliberate practice research. Yeah, it. I think that's that's awesome. Where the the pointless or um, the non intense effortful practice or non difficult practice isn't pointless, right? It's um, it it has some value. But to if you could say I've only got three hours of time this week, that three hours needs to be maximum efficiency, maximum output for what you put in. And, and if you're, if you're wasting your time, just, just whacking golf balls, you need to eliminate that and only yeah. leave the good stuff. Right. Yeah. And then that isn't about making it brutally hard. As we said, again, it, right. it's sort of that appropriate level of challenge difficulty. There, there was some research we ran this year. We ran a pilot study this year looking at, um, uh, there's the, uh, challenge, uh, challenge point hypothesis, which is sort of an area of research looking around practice difficulty difficulty it's not really been done in golf so we, we we had a dissertation student we just ran a little pilot study we didn't get enough people through it but really interestingly um it kind of sh we, we kind of had one lot hitting to uh, a 10 meter wide target 100 meters and they're like hitting at a five meter target they didn't know hmm. and just looking at the sort of effect afterwards um on a pre-post uh test and all of the ones in the challenging group improved their score afterwards and then half improved from um, the, the easier challenge group. Now, it wasn't a proper study. There, there isn't enough power. There's not enough data there. Sure. But it, it, we're going to run it hopefully properly next year at the university. Uh, and I'm really interested because yeah, one of my things is I think when you start golf, just making contact with the golf ball is difficult mm. enough. But when you get to a more elite level, you, you need your practice level to, to keep getting more challenging. You don't go to the gym and keep lifting 2K weights, but we kind of do on the golf courts and, and on the practice ground. Mm. So if you could, um, if someone could uh, simulate that experiment, however, um, uh, even even though it's not you know solidified experiment results, but let's say it was, how could someone simulate that and say, okay, I'm going to do that for my own practice? What would they do? I would look at uh, just putting some point scoring in place to start off with, sure. uh, for whatever practice. And it's something I've tried to do on Golf Insider and, and just try and build a load of ways for people to practice. Uh, so we've got a few games there, um, and then it's well, when you hit the mats, 
then move on and uh, make your practice more difficult. So I think the first thing that actually nearly most people don't do is have any sort of scoring system. So if you have a scoring system, you can go, why am I getting better? Now, if you're getting better, keep doing it. As I said, we don't overcomplicate, just keep doing it. As soon as you hit a ceiling, why, okay, is it that it's too easy? Are you maxing that out? Or or if you've got stuff and you don't know how to get to the next level and you need some technical coaching or some tactical stuff or some psych stuff, or is it physical Mm -hmm. conditioning? You You can take a really holistic approach to, how are you gonna solve this problem more effectively next time? Right. Yeah. So that, I. Yeah. Yeah. I. I think that's that's fascinating. Giving giving a point system to to your practice as in, in within that skill development part of your practice, right? So you've got the technical side and you've got the skill development side. Having having both, would you give them equal time? Would you say uh, technique and skill development needs equal time? I know I'm asking you to. Uh, yeah. be really specific answers and everyone's different, but I, I like yeah. this as a generally applicable thing. Hey, don't worry, it's great fun. Um, I'm actually just planning out uh, our season for next year uh, for the uni guys. So uh, uh, yeah, I was speaking to, again, I'm going to keep trying to credit everyone, Barry from Maynooth University. So Maynooth is an unreal golf university. Uh, we're trying to catch them, mm. but it's funded by Project Harrington. Uh, and see. Barry is uh, played in the States as an amateur. He's got, got a great setup over there. Uh, and what they do is they periodize their season, uh, their off season, because our uni golf is off season. Uh, and it, it's a similar type of thing. So, what we'll have for next year, if anyone's listening to this, I promise this now, hasn't it? But people, players are going to turn up in September and we're going to have a collect data. So, we're just going to collect data, go play, um, do a bit of education, um, collect a lot of data about how everyone plays. And then we go into a period which is sort of train to train, if you like. So it's trying to implement those aspects of, okay, well, how do we train? How do we train effectively? What are some of these core practice games that we're going to get in place for you? And then we've got another one, which I haven't, I'm going to fudge the theory here, but kind of train to develop or train to excel, where we're going to push really hard to actually do challenging practice, um, adapt what we do, to hit new levels now during that time you're actually going to play badly because that challenging practice and all these different movements causes chaos and we need stability and then train to perform so when to finish with that so then train to perform and i suppose your question is what does technical practice look like in these areas mm. um, and we can fit in skill practice as well because i think that goes well so you know when you when they're coming and they're playing i don't really mind what they're doing they're there and they're just sort of we're just watching and observing what they are then as you go into the off season well we're going to start to look at well what changes are going to be made technically do we need to work on anything from putting short game long game um, and at that point you're probably going to do say 60 percent um maybe 50 percent technical um maybe 60 percent technical with 20 percent skill dev and then go play golf you know mm-hmm. as the rest of that uh then i think what happens is as you kind of go go through through the season and then you get into like the, the skill act training training to develop mm-hmm. i then switch it so that you have less technical maybe 20 percent technical uh maybe 60 percent skill dev stuff that could be on the course or off the course where it's really hard challenging practice and you'll hate it and you'll fail a lot but it's just trying to see if you can hit those new levels and then a mm-hmm. bit of time on the course and then we kind of stabilize so then it's okay what are the core skills games you're going to play each week you're going to go play golf. And then that's where I think it's really important to bring in the technique back as like a stable beat balls, get things back on track. Cause if you just play golf, things go kind of off and a bit haywire. Mm. Is that, is that 
yes. a reasonable answer. So, yes. Okay. I, cool. I love that as a Put me under pressure. No, I, that was awesome. Okay. I think that's awesome. I would I wish I was in some sort of periodized, uh, planned out across six, seven months of practice. I, that sounds amazing. I, I, um, I'd love to be able to do something like that. Um, so if anyone's listening and wants to plan their own timeline, do something like that. Cause that sounds awesome. Yeah. And there's some articles we've got. So, um, uh, we've got all of that on articles and golf insider. Um, and so we're trying to build break golf is trying to build these things in. Uh, so it's a small project. It's, it's really cool at the moment, but we are like, okay, how do we get this in? How do we get that? And so again, yeah. just trying to take that off, off people and give them a plan so they can just follow it. Be dumb, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the same, you know, there's yeah. nothing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we didn't talk much about psych specifically, but, or the mental game specifically, but if you could, if you could consolidate everything we've talked about down into the way that this will help you mentally, that when you get to your tournament two weeks from now, two months from now, this you will be mentally stronger because of all this stuff. How? What's that link there? How? How is that true? So I, I think it's having the evidence that yeah you you are better. And so, I mean, we're not trying to lie and pretend that we're better, you know, but it's also understanding that you can have loads of doubts and still perform well. Mm. So, yeah, I think if I was going to distill it, it's take some stats in your practice and and start having scores in place for when you practice. And are those scores going up? Because if they're not going up, yeah, you can't feel confident. (laughs) I wish you could. So that'd be the first step. And if your scores are going up, that's a great source of confidence around that and then i think the other thing that can help with sort of how we look at skill act and how it meets psych is we've both got these ideas of pressure practice and for me those pressure practices are a great way of, of, of practicing with those doubts in mind looking at your coping strategies but for me as a coach as well where are you missing the shots you know when you have a pressure chip do you leave it short because in play just hit it harder it sounds stupid but you can actually have some negative thoughts and still execute the shot well if you have that data to help you. Mm. I, I, so many, so few people talk about that. You can feel bad. You can lack confidence. You can have doubts. You can have negative thoughts and still hit the shot, right? Because you know, mm. this is this is my tendency in this situation, or also I'm just a human. I'm capable of, I'm just going to have negative thoughts. I'm going to have doubts. Those just happen. So, I'm not just going to leave, right? I need to hit this shot. So how can I do it despite the negativity and the doubts? Yeah, and we can. And I think a, a, what confuses people, it takes people a while to learn is uh, when you're under pressure and you, you have this sort of anxious response, there's release of adrenaline and noradrenaline. And, and what that does is it heightens our awareness of our sensation goes up. Now, that makes us feel like we're swinging the golf very differently because uh, those senses are heightened but it looks the same so i think a big part of it is learning to be able to understand that even though i feel different and it feels like the club's going everywhere that's not what's actually happening in reality it's a change in my perception and uh yeah i think that's sort of another key aspect to playing well under pressure mm, it so you're it as weird as this feels 
I'm not going to suddenly change my swing that much because of just some adrenaline or some doubt. Yeah. So this, if you got a couple of minutes, I can talk through, this is one of the things I did in my PhD looking at aging. So please, uh, if we take a basic example of you're picking up a, a bottle in front of you, a cup full of water, what, what your brain does with, with movement, we still don't really understand how you pick up a cup, but you kind of look at it and you go, I want to pick up that cup. And then you have to estimate how heavy the cup is and, and how slippery it is. And as you do it, you pick up the cup and then you start to get sensory information come back in through your fingertips and then you update your response. And I was looking at this in aging. So you have this predictive aspect and then you have this reactive aspect um, of movement. So what the brain does is it seems to kind of say that, okay, when I pick up that cup, it should feel like this. And so as you do it and the information comes back in, if those two, if your feeling is the same as what you predict it feels, they cancel each other out and it feels effortless. Mm-hmm. And we know that as a great feeling golf swing. So that's what happens along with sending the motor command and everything else. So in the golf swing, what happens is you say, well, when I swing a golf swing, it should feel like this. And if it does, it feels effortless. Now that's where coming under pressure completely changes something because you get this huge spike in the sensory input that's coming back in. And so it feels awful, but it looks the same. And it, again, that kind of comes from a, a horrible mash of what we know from a, a clinical sensory perspective and what's never been looked at in golf. But when I was studying my PhD and I was out playing golf, I was like, oh, that's what's going on. Hmm. You know, that's, it's that sensory information coming back in uh, that kind of tells us, whoa, 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 this is, we're going to hit it miles right here, or this is, this is going to be nailed down the middle. So that's, so- that's my hunch. But I don't, I don't know for sure on that one, Josh. So it would be, it, it, my swing, it should feel like this. Uh, the predictive aspect would be, I know what a, I know what a swing normally feels like, but I'm feeling all these crazy emotions, and as I'm taking the club back, it feels crazy. It feels way off. So the reactive uh, response changes because this feels so different. Is that? Yeah, you, you want to change. You want to change. It's it, it doesn't feel what you're expecting it to feel like. Your your body's telling you, whoa, 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 we're completely off. Mm. Um, so yeah, there, there's certain parts of the brain that kind of are involved in this and um, have a correctional mechanism uh, around that. So yeah, that that's a bit of a, a left field thing, but that's one thing sure. from PhD that I kind of when I go play golf, particularly when I get that feeling of adrenaline, having that as, as whether it's right or wrong, it could be placebo. But having that in my mind going, okay, this feels awful, but I know why it feels awful. And actually it isn't awful. That's really helped me. It's strange. That's so interesting. I, um, almost a, it's probably going to feel weird all day today. I, I'm not going to assume or pretend that I'm going to be calm, cool, and collected and relaxed and everything's going to feel effortless. I'm already accepting the fact that it's going to feel weird, but I'm going to, swing anyway i'm going to trust that my move that i have grooved will be the same even if it feels wrong and i'm just i'm going to let my swing be what it is yeah i think the best players in the world yeah they can manage their arousal levels and try and get calm but they can also play great golf when it feels like they're about to explode Uh, but what's your perspective working working as Mm. as a psych and working with is that something that you you must come across that feeling a lot of i have these feelings and and i can't play golf like this yeah it it's definitely a um 
a, a lot of conversation about you don't have to feel okay to play good. You, it just, it's not true. If, if you had to feel okay to play good, then you're in the wrong sport. You, you probably shouldn't be playing sport at all because as you get better and as you get into the position that you presumably want to be in, the final group, uh, in contention, coming down the stretch, you're not going to feel great, right? Your, your heart is going to be in your throat. Your brain is going to be going 100 miles an hour you're you're probably not going to be super comfortable it's not going to it's not going to be warm fuzzy feelings until you have the six shot lead and you finally hit it on the last green you're you're going to be racing so to say i need to feel okay for me to play okay well then you're going to get to that final day and push the eject button and mm. and leave and give up and melt down instead go ahead and accept the fact that I, it's not i'm not going to feel good right? I'm, it's going to yeah. be uncomfortable. And that's why when I ultimately perform well, that's why it will be so satisfying because it was so difficult. Not, yeah. not because it was so easy and effortless. That would be nice. That would be comfortable. But ultimate satisfaction will come from, I didn't feel good, but I performed anyway. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest strength you can have. If you can have those feelings, you can still hit good goal shots incredible that's the stage you want to get to yeah that's it okay so uh what would you name this episode you you do some golf content what would you uh, to put you on the spot what would you name this episode something catchy what are you gonna go something catchy or clickbaity or something actually like just sort of serious uh truth truthful but clickbaity uh why your practice isn't working yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm writing that down right now. Why your okay. practice isn't working. I think that's... Uh, can, I, can I have feedback on that as a, yeah. a click-through rate? You can, uh... <laughs> Absolutely. I sure will. Okay. So if you could promote something, I know you've mentioned a website, an app. What would you promote? Where would you send people that are listening to this? Oh, yeah. Golf Insider UK, you can, you can head there. And that's kind of just the website that I started. Just what I wish I knew when I was growing up trying to be a golf pro. So there's, there's commercial content but there's a lot of practice content there I, I try and create some really cool stuff for people um and then yeah break it's golf that's a tool that um we're trying to build to, to try and sort of build a personalized practice plan with these aspects that we talked about based off how you play golf so you can check that out breakitsgolf.com so we've golf. got golfinsideruk.com and yep. break x break x golf.com outcome yeah okay that's it and then if you send me any emails through those two i pick them up just me it's not some big fancy company so nice. if you want to message me ask any questions afterwards just yeah ping me an email through that awesome okay well will this is this has really been insightful and i like that it's kind of been tangential to the psychology aspect but also extremely applicable to it and because you can't separate these things completely they're all related so this has been a fascinating look at that so i appreciate it oh, it's been great fun thanks josh all right will all right so i will um i'll keep you updated on when this will go it might be it might be in another four or five episodes i'm kind of doing a um i talk i do a solo episode and then i do a interview then i talk and so um, interviews get pushed further than just one after the other. Yeah, so, yeah no worries. Yeah, yeah. But, How's it going so far? As I said, I, I kind of, I was, I've been so busy. 
Hence yeah. the eye bags. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really bad. want to fit this in. And I, I just thought if I, if, I did, if I don't get it on this week, I won't. But yeah, if, if you really enjoyed the Sasha interview, um, yeah. I haven't listened to any more yet. But um, are you doing it on uh, podcast and YouTube as well? I haven't. I haven't really got into YouTube like I'd like to. Um, I, I'm. It's just me, just like you were saying. It's just me, so I don't have an editor, yeah. editor or any of that. I, I need to pay someone to to do it because it would take so much time off of my plate. But um, just podcasts right now. I'll I'll do some clips um, on social media, and I think it was were, were you was it you that, that asked me. Um, are these going to be posted as a video? Was that yeah. okay? Yeah. yeah. So eventually YouTube probably yeah. once I get my act together, but um, I'll probably post a three, two or three small clips of some interesting cool. one-liners. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Well, look, when it's live, let me know. I'll, I'll figure it out through the email list. Okay. Um, cool. And then again, if it's video, if you have, if you want me to put it on my YouTube channel, because I don't really use it that much. Yeah. but if you want me to put it on there, i put one with me and sasha on there and it had like oh, nice. five six thousand watches sure uh, i don't know what i did i don't understand it because again right? if there's really, <laughs> yeah but if you want if it helps promote your stuff we can yeah. just kind of okay put it out through there and link it but, okay uh, yeah whatever helps but it was really good fun I really yeah. enjoyed it thank I you so much for this yes. sort of, um, great stuff it's i enjoy talking about practice but you kind of never know you know, yeah. whether it's going to be of use or whatnot. But, no, that's, really that was good. awesome. So thank you so much, Will. I hope cool. you have a good rest of your evening. Oh, thank you so much. And then I might be in touch in the future because I've got a mini similar type of thing going that I'm going to pick up now Now it's going. So Please. Uh, I'll be back, back in touch at some point, Josh. Pick All your right. friends about sight. All right. Good deal. Take care, buddy. All right. See you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Will. I know I did. It kind of kind of woke me up to the the importance of different parts of practice and how I should be spending my time. And I, I know the next time I go practice, it's not going to be the same. I'm going to implement the things that he and I talked about. If I ever get the chance to go practice again, this is how I will do it. So I, I, got a lot out of this conversation and I hope you did too. And as I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard here isn't therapy. It's meant for information and education purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, If you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their mental game so they can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com. Just mention that you'd like more info on -on one-on-one mental game coaching, or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com for more info. All right. Thanks again to everyone who listens to the Mental Golf Show. Whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that we've built. If you've enjoyed this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the best way for people to discover the the podcast. And I would love it if you shared this episode with a friend who just doesn't know how to plan their practice. They, They don't have much time. They show up, they whack a bunch of golf balls, and they think it's productive. But we know it's not. You Mental Golf Show listener knows it's not. So send this episode to them. They need to hear this. Okay. 
Thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.